Thank you, Brother Jason. Please turn in your Bibles this morning with me to the book of Acts. I'd like for you to stop over again in chapter number 2. We have dwelt there the last few weeks in chapter number 2, but I cannot get away from it this morning. And I believe the Lord has given me a message for you today as we finish up looking at this chapter this morning. I think so. In chapter number 2, I want to preach this morning um, out of chapter number 2 toward the end of this chapter. You know, the book of Acts is a one of the most pivotal, pivotal books in your Bible. And I'm sure that you do read it when you read through the New Testament, of course. It is a transitional book. And when I say transitional book, uh, sometimes when something major happens, it does not happen overnight. I think about the Declaration of Independence for the United States of America. And I think about the writing of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. All of that would change and alter history. Uh, But it did not happen overnight, and it did not happen in a few weeks. And even when it was put on paper... Uh, you know, still to implement that uh, was quite a challenge. But we benefit from it today. And I praise God for that. Now, when you get into the book of Acts, you're looking at something that, that, that really is historical, monumental, and something that will not repeat itself. And we are affected by it today. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to the earth to be come the propitiation for our sins. You'll find his life, his death, his resurrection documented in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And then when you get into the book of Acts, you'll find that he had told his men for 40 days, he taught them after his resurrection. Many of you think that the Lord went right to heaven after he was raised from the dead. That's not so as far as him staying to teach his men. And the Word of God says that he spent 40 days with them, what you might say a Bible Institute course. Things were clearing up for them. Some of the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus was speaking to them up about how he fulfilled the role of the Messiah. They had a hard time receiving that when he was alive. They seemed to be able to understand it better after his death and his resurrection. He opened up the scriptures to them. And so they were in this Bible class for 40 days. And he's expounding these scriptures to them. And the Old Testament does testify of the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming Messiah. And so when you get over into Acts chapter number 2, he told his men, chosen men, these 12 men that are being addressed and mentioned here, are very unique individuals. He says, guys, I want you to wait right here at Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And the promise he was referring to was that the the descending of the Holy Ghost in a way that he has never ministered before upon planet Earth. In the Old Testament, he would come upon men, empower them, and then he would depart. But you'll find here in the book of Acts, he is going to descend and is still here until we hear the trumpet sound and the Lord Jesus Christ comes and we meet Him in the air. He has now descended upon the earth to dwell in men's hearts, to transform them and change them, live in them, conform them to the image of Christ. And and to dwell in them, I would say, 
permanently. And so until Jesus comes. So when you get to Acts chapter number 2, I want you to notice here as Peter has stood on the day of Pentecost when they heard the tongues, the, the Jews came running, and they heard these men speaking in their own language. They're asking, what meaneth this? Peter preaches to them and lays upon their conscience that you are guilty as a nation of rejecting your Messiah and being responsible for His blood being shed upon the tree. And you are murderers of the Prince of Life. And the Bible says these men, they, they, and I don't know how many thousands of men are there, but I do know this. I do know that 3,000 of them responded in the right way. Later on, 5,000 respond again to another message after God gives them another sign. So the Lord is dealing here now with the nation of Israel that they would repent of killing their Messiah. And they would believe upon Him and identify with Him. And so that's what you find here in Acts chapter number 2. As they ask him, they ask Peter, what shall we do? And I want you to pick up with me here in verse number 37. Because a tremendous and significant change is taking place that still affects us today. And after this chapter and after this event, things will never be the same up until this point in history. You know, if you'll remember... In 1 John 4.10, the Bible says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you're here this morning, you've never been born again. You've never been forgiven of your transgressions. You know that you're guilty before God. I'm here. i got good news for you. That God sent His Son to take your place. And God raised Him from the dead to proclaim to you that He is the Son of God and the propitiation or payment for your transgressions. But you have some responsibility in this. And so here in Acts chapter number 2, they respond to the... Look look at this now if you would with me, please. I want you to look here, and I guess the reason why I wanted to preach on this passage from verse 37 down to verse number 47, I'm, I'm going to call this in this passage here the church prototype the church prototype and what i mean by prototype i'm talking about something that uh, is going to be the example that god wants to use and give us some ideas of what a real church should be uh down the road and when i read over this i get under conviction I I get sad because I feel like we've moved so far away from the prototype of what the Holy Ghost wants in a group of New Testament believers. And I'm not blaming that upon you. This is worldwide. This is nationwide that we have this problem. You know, this is an early sample of what we're looking at here. Something, a prototype is something that has the typical qualities of a particular group. A prototype is a first or early example that is used as a model for what should come later. Now in Jerusalem you have the first church here. 
And then later on it moves, the headquarters moves to Antioch as it begins to go worldwide. But I think if you'll look with me in chapter 2 and verse number 37, you're going to see some things here that I believe should exist in the New Testament church. There are principles here. Let's don't go into all the details unless you get encumbered about that and you get confused. But there are some principles here and some qualities here. Man, they ought to be in East River. They ought to be in you. They ought to be in me. Because as I see the advent of the Holy Ghost descending here and beginning here in the book of Acts, you can see that He begins to change and transform people's lives. When I started going to church, I wasn't raised in church, but when I attended church and heard the Word of God, and when I heard the Word of God, what happened to these men happened to me. My heart was pricked when I heard the Word of God. I saw what God saw, and I'd never seen that before, that I was guilty in the eyes of God. My heart was troubled. I was seeking some relief. I was seeking peace and deliverance. And thank God there is hope and deliverance and peace to be found with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I look with me here and look in verse number 37. It says, now when they heard this, talking about the gospel, the word of God, he said, and he said, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Would you agree with me that there was, after the preaching and while the preaching was going on, there was some conviction of the spirit of God going on in the hearts of these men? I want that to occur here. Now, most of you, however, profess to be believers, and this has happened, I hope, at some point already in your life. There may be some watching, though, that has not happened to. But I pray this morning that conviction has, that there's been a place in time in your life where you were pricked in your heart. Being pricked is not something that is pleasant. You get a thorn, pricks you in the finger or the leg or the thigh. That's not a pleasant experience. If somebody takes a sharp instrument and pricks you with it, it's not going to be pleasant. And when the Spirit of God begins to deal with an unsaved man, it's not going to be pleasant. So if you bring a visitor and they hear the Word of God, I mean, they really listen to it. I mean, really listen to what's being said. And the weight of it falls upon their hearts. They're not going to be happy at that moment. They're going to be troubled in their hearts. And you want them to be troubled in their hearts. You say, oh no, Brother Roger, I want them to come to church and feel good when they leave. I want you to feel good when you leave if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, I hope you leave here miserable. He said, well, that's not right. It is right. Because I don't want you going to hell being happy. I want you to be troubled. And then he says to them, you know, obviously they're convinced that they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 38 says, he says, repent, change your mind about yourself and about God. 
Repentance is the change of attitude and heart that leads to a change of actions. Be baptized, every one of you. That's identify yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is the gift. He is the gift. All right? And you'll notice in verse 41, though, you'll notice something here, that they've been convicted, and obviously, some of them have been convinced, because it says in verse number 41, they that gladly received His Word. They gladly received His Word. I can testify in my own personal experience, which doesn't verify the Word of God. I understand that. But the Word of God verifies my experience in that when my heart was troubled and I knew as a young man that I was in trouble with God, that I went to my pastor's office and spoke with him and he said, well, you know what you need to do? And I said, yes, sir, I do know what I need to do. And I got on my knees and I gladly, gladly called upon the name of the Lord. And I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the peace of God came into my heart. Peace with God was made for me that day through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you'll notice though, he says, they also were baptized. No one had to talk me into getting baptized. I wanted to identify with Jesus Christ. I really do question whether or not you've ever been convicted and truly converted if you resist following baptism in identifying yourself with the one who forgave you of your transgressions. I believe that you ought to be convicted. I think that you ought to be convinced that Jesus is the answer. And I think that you ought to be converted when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart And be born of the Spirit. Now when that happens, I believe what you see then here is that these folks were being converted by the Holy Ghost. And they were were fixing to have a whole lifestyle change take place for them. Because now that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Messiah, they no longer would have to bring their lambs and their goats and their sheep and their, whatever else they had, it's going to be a whole lifestyle change for them. They're not even aware of it yet. And I know when I got born again, I had no idea where the Christian life was about to carry me and what it was going to do to me and for me. I really had no clue about that. But I don't regret it. And I'm here to tell you now that they were converted. And listen, if there's been no conversion in your life, since you went through some kind of religious experience and you're still the same, if you claim His name and you're still the same, then there is something wrong with what happened at the beginning. Do you understand? There's something wrong with you and you need to really check up on that. Now, when this happened, the Bible says in verse number 38 that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you get born again, When you receive Christ, I know I'm being elementary here, but be patient with me. To as many as received Him, to them, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Amen? Now, according to Galatians chapter number 4, 
according to the Scriptures, because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit into your hearts. And so when the Spirit of God comes into your heart, there's some there's just going to be some things that show up. There's going to be some things that begin to change and develop in your life. All right? And I realize that you can retard that growth to some degree. But I believe that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. And I believe though the world will attempt to conform you to its image, I believe the Holy Ghost is powerful enough to transform you into His image. And He will work in your heart and in your life. And He's very long-suffering. He's very forbearing. He's very patient with His children. I want you to notice here the things, and I think of the prototype of the New Testament church that need to be in the East River Baptist Church. Now, as I begin to give you these things, I pray that you would look at your heart and in your life. This thing about the Holy Ghost is critical. This is His dispensation. This is His working time. John the Baptist had his. The Lord Jesus Christ had his on earth. Now it is the Holy Ghost that's working here on earth. You should never be, what can I say, nervous about using the phrase Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. He is your comforter. He is your guide. And He will teach you about the Lord Jesus Christ and help you to love Him and to love each other. It's hard to love each other without supernatural help. We need grace from God just to love each other. You know why that I love the Lord? Because He first loved me. And shed abroad in my heart the love of God. That would enable me to be able to love you. And for you to be able to love me. I love what um, Adrian Rogers put it so simply, profoundly. He's good at that. Gifted to do it. Concerning the Holy Ghost, he said, number one, he is a promise to be received. Number two, he is a person to be recognized. And number three, he is a power to be released. That is a profound statement about the Holy Ghost that is so true in our lives. Now look at this with me, if you would please. Look in verse number 42. It says here, now there were added to them 3,000 souls. Now follow with me here about this. First of all, it says, now you know that they, they received Christ and they were baptized. The Bible says in verse number 41, they gladly received His Word and were baptized. So I would say, number one, the Holy Ghost will certainly lead you to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. Are you ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ? You must never be. But also you'll notice that they were added to a group of believers. And when the Spirit of God works in you and you get born again, you will be added to a group 
of believers. Look what it says. And then they that were gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The them would be the apostles and the other people that were hanging with them. But you'll notice that they were added. And listen, when you get saved, God puts you into a family. The family of God. And you now belong to a group of believers and you are to assemble with them until Jesus returns. And you'll notice not only was their identification, not only with Jesus, but also with these believers. I, I believe the statement is true that if your, quote, religion cannot even motivate you to go to the house of God and be around believers, it's doubtful that it's going to get you to heaven. Amen. And you'll notice, and I say that sincerely not to be cute. I'm telling you. There's something about the Spirit of God who draws you to other believers. Alright? And then he says here in verse number 42, and I love this word, not only identification, but continuation. It said twice. Verse number 42 says... This, it says, and they continued, they continued, they continued. All right, and you'll notice in verse 46, it says, and they continuing, continuing. Does continuation mean something? Does it matter? I believe these folks were connected, committed, and that's why they continued with these believers. He said, well, Brother Roger, I feel like that I'm doing fine in my walk with the Lord and I really just get aggravated with people at church and I can do better away from people at church. So you're sort of like the shepherd who has a great time with sheep as long as he doesn't have to hang around sheep. Is that correct? You're like the doctor who does great as long as he doesn't have to deal with patients. Is that correct? So being born again is something that transforms you. Jesus said, people will know that you're my disciple by the fact that you love each other. I didn't say that you would always like each other. I didn't say that you'd always approve of each other. But love can cover a multitude of faults. Do you understand? East River Baptist Church needs a revival of the Spirit of God being real to you that you're able to look beyond each other's faults and failures, and love one another. The Spirit of God will enable you to do that. You say, Brother Roger, you just don't know. I just cannot stand them. I just can't stand some people. Brother Roger's got some news for you. There's some people that can't stand you. You say, oh, Brother Roger, it can't be so. Not me. Yes. You say, you think you're the only one that's normal. You think you're the only one that's average. Every family has its own quirks. You say, oh yeah, Brother Roger, I believe our family's quirky, all right. No, that's not what I mean by that. Your culture, your background, your raising, your education, all of that fits into who and what you are. What happened to you as a child, as you were growing up, as a teenager, all those things fit into what you are. And God's Holy Ghost helps you transcend that and to love people who are not easy to love. That's the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost. 
And the Bible says that they were, look what he says in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. That means somebody didn't have to call the FBI to find you on Sunday morning. Or Sunday night or Wednesday night, however. But you need to be in the house of the Lord. And it shouldn't be that your pastor has to visit you or call you up or check on you every other week to see what's up with you. You should be low maintenance, not high maintenance. You should want to be in the house of God and want. I appreciate Brother Mike and Sister Debbie, you encourage me. They live way over in Dayton. And they are here every service since the Lord came into their lives. And they love it. They love it. Do you understand? And it's something that ought to be real in your heart. And you probably say, well, Brother Roger, that'll wear off. When they get to know some of these folks, they won't be so excited about it. (laughs) You know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. What I appreciate, too, is folks like Brother Kim and Sister Sharon. They were here before I got here. They've been here. I've been here 25 and a half years. They've been here longer than I have, Brother Scott and Sister Dixie. And they still like some of you folks. They still love some of you folks. Brother Scott said, no, I don't like anybody. (laughs) He's just kidding. But I'm just saying, you understand that there are some folks that have some longevity. You can't do that without forgiving. And Brother Kenny, you can't do that without overlooking some of the quirks in people's lives and looking and seeing what God is doing in their lives. Well, I like to see potential in people, not just their problems, but I like to see their potential. The Bible says here in verse number 42 that they continued steadfastly. I'm going to give you a very critical verse of Scripture about this thing about continuing. First John says, they went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. And he wasn't talking about First Baptist Church at Antioch. He was talking about wherever God takes you, that you'll hook up with some believers of like faith. That you want to be around believers of like faith. You say, well, Brother Rogers, some folks just disappoint me. Please stop saying that. Would you please stop saying that? Would you stop being so self-righteous that you think that you also do not have some issues and some imperfections and some faults? Do you understand that really? Well, Brother Roger, just stop it. If there's somebody between you and the Lord, that person that's between you and the Lord is closer to the Lord than you. Don't let anybody come between you and God. Don't let anybody come between you and God, ever. And when they do, seek peace and pursue it. And if they don't want to pursue it, then you just forgive them and press on. Ask God for grace to be kind in spite of what's been done. You see, this thing about the new being a believer, it's something that's supernatural. It's not something that's fleshly. You're going to need Him to help you to continue on. I don't want to use anybody as an excuse of why I quit church. 
I don't want to use anybody because it won't look good at the judgment seat. I promise you that. I promise you that. But look what they continued in. All right, give me a few more minutes of your time, all right? Look at what they continued in. It says, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly by listening to what the men of God had to say. They're preaching and they're teaching. Hey, there's no, there's no doubt these guys were telling them what they had been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Everybody that came into that assembly and that group, they didn't have a Bible that they were carrying with them. They were listening to a unique group of men who proved to them that they were qualified to teach by the miracles and signs and wonders that they were able to perform as apostles. So these men, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, and so were you and I, by the way. So are you and I. And then it says fellowship and fellowship. Well, that'll do away with that um, clergy and laity division, doesn't it? They were in fellowship. And he says in breaking of bread and in prayer. Some believe that would be the Lord's Supper. It's very possible, but I'm not sure. Because it just meant later on that they were breaking bread and eating their meat gladly. And they were doing this, it seems like, almost every day and every week. And it seems to me that they were just hanging out with each other. Fellowshipping with each other. And talking about the Lord return. I notice it says, that means, you know what, you know what? It, you say, well, I don't mind going to church with that guy, but I don't want to go out to eat with that guy. So basically what you're saying is your religion is is strong enough to get you in the house of God where that you can be taught and preached to, but it's not strong enough to where that, that you can go this direction with it. You got it in this direction, but you can't get it in this direction. These folks did not know each other. They came from all over different countries. 3,000 strangers are converted. Some of them no doubt kin to each other. But here they are now sitting down and Breaking bread. You know what? If you can't talk about cars and trucks and fishing and hunting because you don't like any of those things and maybe you can't talk about this or that, can you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you talk about the Bible? Can you talk about the things of God? Now notice what he says here. That they... I'm saying identification and continuation. In the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship... And by the way, those those people there that are hanging out with those apostles, the animosity of the Jewish leaders had to be removed from their hearts and replaced with love and respect for these men. These men were considered to be outlaws and spectacles in the sight of the world. So they were willing to listen to these men. Uh, and the Bible says breaking of bread and prayers. I think they were hanging out publicly, privately and even able to pray with one another. When's the last time you prayed with somebody else in the church besides your family? When is the last time you actually prayed with someone about something and they were not kin to you and they're not your best friend? Is it okay to have a best friend? Why, sure it is. Jesus had some. John was his best friend. James and... And uh, uh, Peter and James were his second and third best friends. 
It's all right. You don't have to have everybody be your best friend. But you can be friendly to everybody. I'm just saying that you understand the look right. Let's move on. Look in verse 43. And fear came upon every soul. There ought to be more fear here in this church. More fear. Not the spirit of fear that torments a soul. You keep your hand right there. Look over a few pages in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Acts 9 verse number 31. Look what he says here. It says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking, look at this, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Do you see what is happening here is that the Holy Ghost is bringing about in these people's hearts a fear, a renewed fear of God. I know that they believed in God. They wouldn't have left their homes and come to Jerusalem for the Feast of of Passover and, and then also then for Pentecost. It cost them something to be there. And I know they believed in God, but yet now this is a whole new ball game for them. And there is a refreshing of the fear of God. I want you to go back to Acts chapter number 2. The, the fear of God. The fear of God. You know, if the love of God doesn't motivate you to treat somebody right in this church, if the love of God doesn't motivate you and keep you where you ought to be, may the fear of God motivate you and keep you until you are motivated by the love of God to do those things. There's some things I'm just not going to do or not do or laugh at or approve of because I fear Him. And there's some things just because I love Him and because I love you. The fear of the Lord. Then notice the next thing in Acts chapter number 2. It says here, And fear came upon every soul. And I believe if you're born again, that the Holy Ghost renews a respect and a reverence for God. And ladies, every time that you get up in the morning and you get ready to put some clothes on and go out in public, If the love of God does not restrain you to dress modestly, the fear of God should restrain you to dress modestly. And you should be very, very careful of what you post about yourself on your Facebook pages. They will be there forever. And they'll be there at the judgment seat of Christ. Men's eyes are full of lust. And that is why you're warned over and over and over and over in the Word of God about your modesty, how you carry yourself, how you clothe yourself, how you handle yourself around the opposite sex. It matters to the Holy Ghost. It does. That's why the... In the old churches in America and in other countries too, they used to have the men sit over here and the women sit over here so that the men wouldn't be distracted by the women. That's a fact. But I want to encourage you men, 
You need to fear the Lord. You need to be, you need to fear God of what your eyes look at. Where your imagination goes. What you do with your hands. What you do with your money. How you earn your money. How you talk to people. What comes out of your mouth. Men are known for getting angry. Having wrath. And doubting the Lord. And having hands that have not given an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. You ought to fear God and love each other and do right. And not just when the preacher's around or when somebody else is around, but because God's around. Look what he says here. Fear. Verse number 43. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So what you're looking at here, now read this carefully. Look in verse 44. I need to cover this all together. And all that believed were together. Would you say that would be unity? Fellowship, together, and in one accord? Those words are used in this passage. You see, when you identify your problem as a person with a face, and you say, that's my problem, that is not your problem, Because there'll always be another person. There'll always be another face. You must maintain your relationship and your walk with the Holy Ghost regardless of who is around you at all times. This is not impossible. It's not even improbable. It's reasonable service. Look what he says. And all that believed were together had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. So there is unity, singleness of heart, one accord, fellowship, and we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit at East River Baptist Church. You need to understand that the unity of the Spirit at East River Baptist Church is more important to the Holy Ghost than you getting your way about something insignificant or petty. It is the Spirit of God that matters here. And then the selflessness. Look at this. These folks became others-oriented. Now listen, I don't think that you should go home today and bring the title to your house, your land, or your car and put it in the offering plate tonight. I don't believe that. I believe these Jews had come and brought these things because they honestly believed that Jesus Christ was about to return. And they wanted to be in Jerusalem because the apostles had said, listen, we saw him go up into heaven and those angels told us in like manner he shall return. And they believed that he was now the Messiah. And they believed that that Messiah was going to return. And over in Acts chapter number 4, he even makes the promise that if they would repent and receive Him, that the Father would send the Son. How about that? And so they have sold everything in hopes and believing that they hung around there, that the Messiah would come. But hey, that's a Jewish thing, but the principle here is the same. For the New Testament church at East River Baptist Church in New Canaan, Texas, and that is selflessness and an attitude of giving and caring about other people other than yourself. Having a giving spirit. Not only that, but you know what these guys were doing? 
they were selling these things. Look, look, look with me, please, in chapter four and look in verse number 34. This is where trust in leadership matters. Acts four and verse 34. It says, neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses and sold them and brought them the prices of the things that were sold. So if some of you had 20 or 30 acres with a nice house on it today, and you sold it probably for half a million, a million dollars, and you brought it and put the check in the offering plate tonight. Wouldn't that be an astounding announcement tonight if we did that? And then some of you were so motivated by that, you went home and talked to your wife and said, Honey, I think we ought to sell everything and put it in the plate tonight too. Do you see how magnificent this moment is right here in history with these Jews? For a Jew to sell his land and then put it in the offering plate is a miracle in itself. And the Bible said, but look at this, verse 35. And they laid them down... At the apostles' feet. They are men in foreign countries, and some in America, but mostly in foreign countries where people are biblically ignorant, above average ignorant. These guys claim to be apostles, and they pray upon the poor. And these people come and they give and they lay these things at the apostle, what this so-called apostle is at their feet. While they're getting richer and richer and flying around in jets and wearing jewelry, these people are starving to death. That's wicked as hell itself. But this did happen. And the principle is this. They laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Let's go back to Acts chapter number 2. The principle here though, the, the, the prototype of the church is, is there needs to be qualified leadership and there needs to be trust in that leadership. Trust is not something that leadership must demand. It is something that they must earn and it must be maintained. And so the scriptures here, when you say that there are no, these guys are bringing everything laid at the apostles' feet. But the principle is when you do give your tithes and offerings, lay it down and walk away and trust God to use it. Don't have your strings attached to it. But be sure that the leadership is qualified to take care of that. Meaning they themselves are not covetous men and not careless with the money that you give. And number three is is that they look after and take care of the flock of God. Now, when it comes to these things, God has given you the book of Titus and Timothy to make sure that leadership is qualified to lead you. And if they are qualified, not the personality, the qualifications, the abilities to feed and to lead you, to have some integrity and to know the Word of God and preach it and teach it and and watch over your soul and not be self-willed. When all of that is in there, then the Bible says in First Thessalonians that you are to hold them in high esteem and you're to pray for them and try to protect them from false accusations. But here's the principle is that there is trust here. And because they were trustworthy. Do you agree with me that there are no true apostles today? Now, a lot of folks don't agree with that. I, I, I probably, the apostolic church doesn't agree with that. You agree with that, surely. But these men were the foundation, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. 
They were chosen witnesses of his life and his death and resurrection. They have not seen the life of Jesus Christ. They have not walked with him nor observed him. They read the same book you and I do. And these men were authoritative. And what they said, because there was no Bible except for the Old Testament, when they would preach and when they would teach and they were changing the direction of these people's lives, God would confirm their message with signs and with wonders and with miracles. If these men today had the capability, in my word, don't wait for the world to come to you. Why don't you go and visit M.D. Anderson and clean it out? These apostles were able, even the very shadow of these men were able to heal the sick. These men are farces. I mean, they're liars. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that the church at Ephesus tried these men who said they were apostles and found them to be liars. But I want you to close with me here in this passage and look at this. It says here they were giving. And I believe the Holy Ghost comes into your heart. You become a giving person. Don't you? Honestly. Seriously. seriously. Now, I mean giving with discretion. Giving on purpose. And with a cheerful heart, you find a stingy, grouchy, divisive, old Baptist. Stay away from him. Stay away from him. God blesses cheerful giving, willful giving, systematic giving. Giving is is a part of my life as much as attending church is a part of my life. It's regular. On purpose. And then let's close with these thoughts. Notice it says in verse 46, And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Now notice again how Jewish this is. They were still in the temple, and they have not yet moved away from that Jewish economy, but they're heading in that direction. Like I told you about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They had to move away from Great Britain. They had to move away from what they had been raised in. That didn't happen overnight. And they are in daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is a prototype of the New Testament church where that there should be, there should be identification with God. There should be a continuation You should be faithful. You ought to get born again, get in church, and eventually die in church. And when people bury you, there ought to be some church folks at your funeral. And folks shouldn't have to guess which way you went. Amen? And he says there was fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers one for another. The fear of God was upon their hearts. Unity was in their spirit and in their soul. A selflessness about them. Others oriented. Being willing to help and to give. Not going to look to get, but going to see what they could give. And then that trust factor in leadership. You're not going to go very far in any church where that you're always questioning and critical of leadership. Now, if the leadership disqualifies themselves, then you need to find another church or you need to change leadership. But if the leadership is good 
and right. And they've led you in the right direction. Listen, God's blessed us here over the years. We have, we have done well. And God has taken good care of us. And we're debt free. And, and I praise God for all that He's blessed us tremendously with. But you know, there's always tomorrow. Man always has to continue to prove himself. And he has to always continue to maintain his integrity and maintain that trust. And so I don't demand that you trust me. But I do ask you to trust me if I am living in a biblical manner. Amen? I want your expectations to be realistic and biblical. And if you have an accusation against me, then bring a couple of witnesses and let's talk about it. Let's go past your imagination and your summarizations, and let's look at the truth of the matter, because things are not always as they appear, and rarely as they are reported. Amen. But I love this gladness of heart. You know how many times, I I can't tell you how many times missionaries and preachers have come through here and said, man, your people, they just seem to be happy. Now I realize every time you come here, you're not. But I appreciate the general, overall general impression that you give visitors, preachers, and missionaries when they say, man, these, these folks, uh, when Brother Bernie was here, he said, Brother Roger, I don't know if they're putting on or not. He said, but man, they sure seem to be, have some gladness in their heart and some joy. And I said, I appreciate the fact you can see that. We don't always have it, do we? Our hearts are heavy sometimes, aren't they? But overall, Week after week and day after day, most of the time, when I've met you and seen you and talked with you, there's a joy and a gladness. I don't want you to go to the house of God because you're mad. I want you to go to the house of God because you're glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I don't want there to be sadness about you when you go to the house of the Lord. But there ought to be some gladness. And then he says, and praising God. And ultimately, whatever happens, it ought to be the fact that we love God, we trust God, we fear God, and we love Him for sending Jesus to the earth to die for our sins and raising Him from the dead that sinners like us could be reconciled to a holy God. I thank Him for that almost every morning. Not out of ritual, Brother Lewis, but out of reality. I'm grateful that I'm a child of God. And if all else fails, I'm still saved. I mean, I have, I have, when you have relationships with a lot of people, you have, you have possibilities of disappointments and they will affect you. But I don't want it to rob me of my gladness of what God's done for me and my joy. The last thing I want you to see here is, He says, and the Lord added to the church. I think that where the Holy Ghost is working, there's life. And I believe that where there's life, there's addition. Now, sometimes there'll be some subtractions, like Ananias and Sapphira. But there ought to be some life and some growth, not only in us personally, but in our church numerically. And I pray that God would do these things. And by the way, I don't mean numerically so that you can have your name put in a newspaper somewhere. 
I mean with evidence of God saving people and changing people and making a difference in people's lives. Let's stand together, please. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? We're not going to have an invitation, but I do want you to pray with me this morning. I want you to search your heart. I preached to you from my heart this morning. As I meditated and hovered over these things, man, I just, I saw, Lord, how far. I see so much of how far we've come, and then I see so how far much we need to go. I want to ask you a question and your opinion in your heart. What do you think about our, talking about East River Baptist Church, our relationship with the Spirit of God? Do we need revival? Do we need help? Yes, we do. Then I ask you personally, how is my relationship? How is my relationship with the Holy Ghost? How is my relationship with the Spirit of God? Do people know that I am identified with Christ and with a group of believers? Am I continuing on steadfastly in the preaching of the Word of God and fellowship with the saints? Do I hang around around any children of God, breaking of bread and praying with others? Do I have a fear of God in my heart? Do I pursue unity when I hear murmuring and complaining and people fussing with each other? Do I try to be the peacemaker? Do I pursue unity and singleness of heart and purpose? Am I known as being a selfish person or a selfless person? Am I a giving person? Do I trust leadership? Do I pray for leadership? Do I defend leadership? Am I glad? When I come to church, am I glad? Am I making any difference in helping the growth of my church? Heavenly Father, as I go down that list, Lord, you you prick my heart in some of those places. I ask for your forgiveness. I pray for your strength to change. I want the East River Baptist Church to have these elements. And I pray that the Holy Ghost would be real to us and we would be real to Him. Those in our services, Lord, who maybe are looking for an assembly, I pray that you'd guide their footsteps. Help them to find the will of God in their lives. Knowing, Lord, that they will be a help and not a hindrance, a blessing and not a burden. Thank you for these good men and women. Forgive us of where we failed you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.